Holiness. Holiness is one of those words that sounds differently to you depending on where you're standing. Here in a worship service, when we're singing about holiness, when we're praying about holiness, when we're, we're speaking about holiness, it, it feels natural, it feels right, it feels like it fits. We sing songs like, holiness is what I long for, holiness is what I need, or other songs like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That all rings true and it feels right here in, in, in a worship context. But what about when we say the word holiness not in a worship service? Holiness. It's one of those churchy words. When you're standing in line, perhaps at Chipotle, and you say the word holiness in line, it's, it's going to feel a little bit different than it does in here. We might even feel a twinge of anxiety. And as we keep thinking about the idea of holiness, especially beyond the worship service, we might even feel a little bit uncomfortable with it. Most of us think, I'm not holy enough. And it's pretty clear from scripture that holiness is something that God is looking for. I mean, doesn't the Bible command us repeatedly to be holy? I mean, in Leviticus and again, in 1 Peter, it says, be holy because I am holy. Oh man, that is quite a command. Think and act and speak just like God because he did it. You can do it too. Oh my goodness. I mean, I know there are some changes that I need to make in my life. But when you put holiness up like that, it doesn't sound very attainable, it doesn't sound very appealing, it doesn't sound very enjoyable either. And if church is a place where we can be honest with each other, if this is a safe place to admit some of these things, you may not be sure that you even want to be holy. I mean, I don't wanna be one of those holier-than-thou people. Those people. I mean, I certainly don't want to be detached from the normal world and pointing the finger of judgment at people. Certainly don't want to be self-righteous or any more self-righteous than I might already be. And even if I could avoid those things, I'm back to thinking I'm not sure I really can be any holier. Now, if you resonate with this, God bless you. You are a fairly normal, self-aware Christian, okay? I mean, if the pursuit of holiness leads us to self-righteousness and fewer friends and the sense of failure, I'm not sure any healthy-minded individual would actually want that. And today, I want to be really clear, that is not holiness. Those thoughts come to my mind as well. And certain people come to my mind too. I'm thinking of one guy that I've seen here and there over the last 20 years or so. His name is Ned. Ned Flanders. <laughs> now, Ned Flanders is a character from the popular TV show, The Simpsons. He's Homer's cheerful, goody-two-shoes, next-door neighbor who happens to be an evangelical Christian. Back in 2001, Christianity Today called Ned the United States' most well-known evangelical, the evangelical known most intimately to non-evangelicals. Hi, diddly-ho, neighborinos. What I like and don't like about The Simpsons is that it's a running commentary on American life. It's satire, and such is the nature with that form of comedy, no one is safe. I like the exaggerated caricatures found throughout the show. There's the clueless, hopeless husband, Homer, the wonderful, sincere wife, Marge, the rebellious, underachieving Bart, 
the, the overachieving sister Lisa, the bully Nelson, the nerd Milhouse, the crooked politician Mayor Quimby, and of course, the neighbor and his annoyingly, seemingly perfect family, Ned Flanders. Oh, in a church our size, now I know that there are experts on, on the subject of The Simpsons, and I know there's a lot of character development over the near 30 years of the show's running. But when it comes to Ned, I'm sticking with the original design of that character, the goody two-shoes next-door neighbor Ned. The Ned, when you press his doorbell, a mighty fortress is our God plays. <laughs> the Ned who, gives, who ties his money to seven churches just in case. <laughs> the sincere Ned who says, I've done everything the Bible says, even the stuff that contradicts the other stuff. That Ned. And it's that Ned that annoys everyone around him. I mean, Homer tolerates him at times, but, but there's, there's a long resentment going there. His children appear to be shockingly sheltered. The citizens of Springfield find him to be odd and unusual. And he even gets on his pastor's nerves. Reverend Lovejoy once told him to find a different religion. <laughs> it's in there. Now, as a sincere Christ follower, when I think of all the ways that I want to interact with my world, resembling that caricature is definitely not one of those ways. If that's what it looks like to be Christian out in the world, oh, I don't want, I'm not sure I want to look holy like that. Maybe I'm better off the way that I am. Best to blend in. Best to keep my piety to a minimum and my faith fairly private. There's what we know about holiness that comes from Sunday. And there's what also that we experience about holiness that comes from beyond Sunday. And it's in that gap, that's where the misconceptions are, are prone to forming. And when we don't pursue the holiness of Jesus, the, the right kind of holiness, our selfish attitudes and our behaviors, they, they, they start creeping in like weeds of worldliness. They might take over and compromise our roots. Is self-righteousness and moral performance and the sense of inadequacy surround our feelings of holiness, then we need to reclaim this very important Christian teaching. And so today we want to call out those misconceptions of holiness. We want to, we want to discover that we can truly be holy without acting holier than thou. And we can be holy with the help of God. And this is enjoyable and this is part of the rich and true life that God invites us to. And so to this morning, we want to look at the verses out of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. And it begins in verse 17, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, Paul is a trained rabbi, and he's a Christian apostle, and he's in prison for his faith, and he's writing to this early Christian community, and they are in a very pagan and decadent society. Gentile society was, was filled with all kinds of different immorality and selfishness. You name it, it was there. And his readers, they know this firsthand. This was their old life that they were trying to escape from, and they found hope and deliverance in Jesus. And so Paul is encouraging them to continue to keep changing your ways and to keep, continue to renew your minds. That is how you change your behavior. In verse 19, though, he says, Remember, they have given themselves over to sensuality 
so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. When we translate that word sensuality into English, it, it often takes on a, a, a particular euphemism. But here, the word for sensuality is about the lust of life. It's about the material, it's about the immoral, and all the things the world lets you indulge in. We can indulge in many different things when it comes to the lust of life, some more obvious than others. The obvious ones include abusing alcohol and illegal drugs, objectifying people sexually or in any other shameful way. And then there's also the more subtle forms of, of indulgence, like consuming cultural messages that enable our anger or our vanity or our need for stuff and status. The lust of life is also found in consuming the narrative that says, me first. And this, this hardens our hearts. This is the old life. We pick up in verse 21, when it reads, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is contrasting the two different ways of life. There's the old life, the, the former, the inward-facing life, where we're, we're mired with our, the sin that is within us and around us. And then the new life that is found in the hope and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. And again, Paul's saying that you can't change your actions until you renew your minds, until you put on this new body. One is lost in darkness, and the other finds its light in God's righteousness and holiness. Holiness. There is that tricky word again. What does it mean exactly? Well, the etymology of the word holy is set apart. Set apart for God's use, for the Lord and from the world. Set apart for God's use from the, for, for the Lord and from the world. And for, the, for, the, for this morning's uh, purposes, we want to just have a very simple definition. Holiness is set apart for God's use. And we want to understand what makes God holy is complete freedom from evil and his perfect conformity to good. Okay, what makes God holy is complete freedom from evil and is perfect conformity to good. Well, the word holy is used a lot in the Bible. Actually, over 600 times, some variation of the word is used. We have holy God, holy law, holy covenant, holy temple, holy kiss, holy people. What is set apart for God's use? If we reduce holiness to just being about behavior and moral perfection, we're going to miss out on the beauty of a holy life. But if we see that holiness is being set apart for God's purpose, that God uses what is free from evil and that is dedicated for good, then holiness is going to be a worthwhile pursuit. You may have never thought of yourself as a holy person before, because we, we tend to equate that with some type of moral perfection. And as mentioned earlier, that, that feels either pretentious or boring or, or, or gives us feelings of inadequacy. I mean, imagine at your next small group gathering during the prayer request time when people are sharing about their needs, about, about jobs and about family needs and about health needs, that the person to your left says, you know, I just need to be a little bit holier. I mean, there's going to be some eyebrow raises, right? You're going to be like, oh, we got that guy. That, that John Wesley guy, wannabe guy, that, that, that's who's in our group right now, huh? But the thing is, if we really understood what holiness was really about, that guy wouldn't be strange at all. 
We would all be asking for each other to pray for our, 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 our maturity in, in, the, in the pursuit of holiness. We'd understand more of what Richard Foster means when he says, holiness is a well-ordered life. It's what we all actually want. It's what we crave. Lives that are less fragmented, lives that are less inconsistent, lives that are less broken, lives that are more whole. And that the reality is we can't be whole people without being holy people, okay? Pursuing holiness moves us towards wholeness. Now, we may be convinced of this, but can we actually live holier lives? Can we live holier lives? Yes. Yes, we can. I would love to encourage you of that. I would love to convince you of that. With God's help, even if you've never thought of yourself as a holy type of person, we can live holier lives with God's help. Indeed, we will make our mistakes. We will stumble. We will fall. We will take many steps backwards. But in God's grace and in his strength, he, he carries us. He picks us up and he helps give us the strength to carry on in, in this pursuit of holiness. If we don't pursue holiness with the help of the Holy Spirit, we end up using all of our strength and determination to pursue something that we really could never have attained on our own anyway. Without God's help, it's a losing battle. And that's often why we create these rules, these legalisms, this self of, the sense of self-righteousness. This is what the cartoon character Ned Flanders does not know about holiness. He thinks it's about creating all these different rules to make yourself appear to be holier or a bit better. That's what he doesn't get. But no, the holy life is, found, is not found in rules and legalisms, but in the full life that Jesus invites us to live. And that is found by putting on the new life that is through him, where righteousness and holiness are found. To trust in the way of Jesus over the way of the world. Now, he's just a cartoon character, right? He's created by Matt Grenning. He's got a team of writers that are, are shaping his soul, and their whole interest is selling jokes and satire and advertising, right? Unlike him, we have a creator that has called us to more. We have a savior that says, while you cannot be perfectly holy, you can have my holiness. Now, I've heard things like that in church and in other settings for, a, for, for many years. And I remember sitting in one of my theology classes when the professor said something to the effect of, you know, if God was standing in front of you at the gate of heaven, and he said, why should I let you in, what would you say? And there's many different variations of, of, of the answer that, that that could give. And in and, 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 and short, you know, you might be tempted to say, well, I tried my best and I, and I, I think I did okay. I, I hope you can cut me a little bit of slack type of a thing. The professor said, you know, actually, you could say, you could look God right in the eye and you could say, because of your son, Jesus, I'm as holy as you are. Oh, I'm like a sincere, humble type of person. At least I think so. <laughs> I could not imagine saying that to God at the entrance of heaven. I mean, that, that sounds arrogant and, and all sorts of things that, that I would never want to appear right, right before God. And I was preparing to write an email to report this professor uh, to the chair of his department. <laughs> and just about that, right, right then, he says something to the effect of, before you report me, <laughs> true story. If you're struggling with this, perhaps it's because you don't really understand your Christian theology. What? He said, if you understand what really happened on the cross, 
where we, where we take, where we, God took our sin and our depravity and he put it on Jesus, the perfect, only holy person. And when Jesus died, our, our sin dies, dies with him. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, he is re- resurrected in complete holiness. And when we put our trust in him, God sees Jesus' holiness, not our imperfections. That's the beauty of baptism. We die with Christ and we are raised with Christ. And this is our new identity that we are proclaiming to the world. I mean, that Christian theology, I mean, it is beautiful. It is humbling, huh? Again, you may not have ever really considered yourself to be a holy person. And you may not even really be that, have been that interested in it. It may sound daunting. It may border on, 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 on feeling pretentious or maybe it's something that really spiritual people you know, are trying to get extra credit for type of a thing. But holiness for the Christ follower is about the pursuit of being free from evil and conforming to the good of Jesus. Free from evil and conforming to the good. It's about getting up in the morning and saying to God, God, with your help, help me to be slow to anger and quick to listen. God, with your help, help me to love the person who angers me, who love the person who offends me, who even, to, to show love to the person who annoys me. Help me, Lord, to, to understand and appreciate the alternative position, the other side, the, the dissenting opinion. God, help me to see what other people are, are, are trying to communicate to me. God, teach me to love my enemies. Teach me to love my rivals. Teach me to love the people who hate me. God, help me to love my neighbor as I love myself. God, help me pull these weeds of bitterness and of vanity and of envy and of greed out of my life. We repeat these prayers in all different parts of our day, in the car, as we enter into buildings and exit buildings, at night before we go to bed. Often we share them with our our, our loved ones and our friends. We ask God for the strength to help us to become more and more like him. We also ought to learn about what makes a holy life. We reflect on it. And this week, we, we encourage you to read the Mizizi chapter on, on holiness. Uh, this week, day four is all about freedom. Day five is all about wholeness. It was written by Doug Whalen and Maria Kakalowski, along with Pastor Marathi. And it's okay if you've fallen behind in your readings, okay? This is a great week to, 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 to just jump right in. And, and this idea of, of Lent is, is beginning this Wednesday. So I invite you to consider how Lent might look uh, as you approach the, the weeks coming up to Easter by perhaps making Mizizi uh, more and more part of your daily, your daily life. In fact, this whole Roots experience has, has been about setting apart our lives for God on a daily basis, on a weekly basis with our friends in, in the form of groups and Roots groups and life communities as well. I would love to encourage you to, to grab a book if you haven't already on your way out. There's, there's plenty left. As I was preparing for this message, I, I was seeking some, some wisdom from some of our other pastors as we talk about holiness. And, and I would love to encourage you to do the same thing that I did. Invite them out for a cup of coffee or, or, or get some tea with them, because uh, they have a lot of really wise things to say. And one of the things that really resonated with me came from Pastor Jim Ennis. And he mentioned that you know that you're growing in holiness when you discover that you repent of your sins faster. You know you're growing in holiness when you discover that you repent of your sins faster. Your spiritual heart just does not want that sin to linger any longer. So you, so you find this need to, to repent quickly. That's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of growth. I mean, the pursuit of holiness, it is a very slow one. 
a very slow one. It's often one step forward and two steps back, and it's marred with failure. But when we are relying on God, it is also charged with courage, it is also charged with strength, it is also fortified by beauty as well. And taking Paul's words to heart in Ephesians, when he says, take off the old self and change our actions, we have to change our mindset in order to change our behavior. Perhaps if Paul was doing mizizi with us, he might say, hey, get rid of all those weeds that are cluttering your lives. Get rid of all those weeds of worldliness. They are a compromise to your growing roots. Maybe an illustration would help. I like buying things on sale. And I hate, I hate paying full retail, okay? I'm the guy who goes into J. Crew um, in, in October and picks out a, a gray, um, you know, nice sweater that's $80, and I don't buy it. I like coming back in December when it's $20 and buying it then, okay? Like that, that, that's what I like to do. I don't even want the gray sweater. I just want to send a message to the retailer. <laughs> I got you, okay? I got one just like this at home, all right? Joke's on you, Mr. Retailer. And after, uh, after Christmas, I was, uh, I was looking for a jacket, and I found myself in one of those uh, retail um, clearance stores, um, like one of those fancy ones. Not, not TJ Maxx fancy, more like Nordstrom Rack fancy, okay? And I was in the back of the store, and I found this really nice suit jacket. And it was one of those really nice ones from like one of those really you know, nice designer names that like, you know, people at the Oscars tonight are going to be wearing you know, one, one of these types of jackets. And I looked at it, and I'm like, what is this doing here? I mean, like this, I've seen the Devil Wears Prada movie. Like, I know, I know I'm informed on high fashion culture. I knew this was, was different for Nordstrom Rack. And I looked at the price, and the price was just, I mean, exorbitant. I mean, it was exorbitant. And, but it was reduced to a less obscene price, okay? <laughs> Still out of my price range, but, 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 but there. And I started thinking about it, and I felt the quality. I started noticing the stitching. And I looked at the beautiful liner inside, and it was in my size. <laughs> I put it on, and the, the sales clerk came and helped me a little bit, and, and long story short, how do I look today? <laughs> oh, thank you. You're very kind. You're very kind. Actually, I did not buy the jacket. <laughs> This is from a clearance section from a different store. They had sent me an email saying 40% off, already discounted prices, and I had to go check it out. <laughs> so I feel good, I feel presentable and I saved money, so, so, so thank you for that. <laughs> Mom was right, you can hardly tell the difference. <laughs> but here's the reason I tell you this, this story. In the back of that fancy store, and, 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 and very seriously, in the back of that store, I was confronted by, by, by some really, really difficult things that, that I did not want to be confronted by. I was confronted by my vanity. I was confronted by my materialism. I was confronted by this idea that, that status symbols inform your self-worth. I was trying to rationally justify whether or not I could actually spend the money on this. I mean, I was, I was thinking, I could still fill out a respectable next intention card and still buy this, right? Right? I was trying, I'm going to have this for a really long time. I was trying to figure out all that stuff. And I was, I was coming, I was, I was confronted by my materialism and my vanity. And here's the thing. Whether I buy the jacket or don't buy the jacket, that's actually not what makes me holier or less holy. If I don't buy the jacket, I'm not any more holier. And if you were to buy the jacket, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are any less holier, okay? 
we want to be careful that we don't accidentally create a legalism that says, if you buy this, you're holy, and if you don't buy this or buy this instead, then you're better or, or holier. That, that is not true. We don't believe that. For me in this moment, it was all about my motives. It was all about the whys. Why was I so drawn to this? I didn't like what was in my heart, and I had to leave the store as a result of it. And often conviction is very painful, especially in the beginning. But you probably have had moments like this, too. Moments when, you, when you're surprised by, by perhaps like a, a new temptation that comes your way. I tend to think I know where my temptations are coming from. But, but this, in this moment, this was from a designer that I've never cared about. I've, I don't own anything by. I don't, I, I'm probably never going to think about this outside of the sermon illustration again. But this was a new weed that had crept into my life. And for some reason, it, 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 it struck me that way. When the lesser things of life inform or try to compromise our identity and purpose, that's when we find the gaps in our holiness. And weeds love gaps. I mean, think of all the cracks and sidewalks. And that's when the weeds of worldliness, they come in and they start choking out our roots. And we might find that we are putting more attention into living a certain way outwardly than living a certain way inwardly. When we start exploring the motives of our actions, that's when we begin to examine what it is that we are actually pursuing. That's when we find the weeds, and that's when we can also have the strength to pull those weeds out in order that our roots may grow stronger. That's when we ask the tough questions. Am I building my own kingdom, or am I really pursuing the kingdom of God? Am I just asking God to bless all the things that I'm interested in, or am I really pursuing the way of holiness and righteousness that is found in Jesus? Worldliness. That's another one of those, those strange words that sound one way in church and they sound a different way outside of church. Worldliness. So, sometimes I flinch when I hear it, but to cut to the chase a bit, I want to be clear, we can love the world, the people, the creation, and the beautiful moments that fill it. That is all great. But when we allow the way of the world to enable our selfishness, that's when it's a problem. That's when we are putting ourselves as the God of our lives rather than God as the center of it. The book of Judges puts worldliness like this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's when worldliness is a problem. That's when it's sinful. And we can't get serious about pursuing holiness without confronting this idea of worldliness and sinfulness as well. Often the, the question will come up, then, then how do I discern of, of what... What, how, what, what, what forms of entertainment that I might consume? How, how do I know what types of music or what type of music to listen to and what, what movies I should watch and should avoid and, and that sort of thing? This is actually a really important thing to me personally because I, I, I like a lot of that stuff. I like a, a wide spectrum of music. And I like to think about the lyrics and I like to find meaning in, in all sorts of different ways and different things. And I also like to, I think I like to, to be critical on, on those things as well. When it comes to movies, I love movies that are filled with redemption stories. I love redemption story movies. I think it's part of my interest in the gospel. When, when, when the gospel has just changed your life, you end up finding beauty in all sorts of unexpected places. Salvation comes from all different types of places. And I think that's why I like so much of these redemption stories that, that, that we hear. I also am captivated by the, one of the shows that are, is very popular right now on tel television. My wife and I watch it you know, weekly. We love the show This Is Us, like, like so many people. And, and one of the things that I like about This Is Us is that 
It's talking about family life. I, I love the theme of the family life in all its different ways and forms. I like its approach on disease and death and loss and moving forward. I'm not expecting a Christian understanding from, from what is coming out of, 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 of my media, but I love to hear the, some of the echoes and some of the whispers of God's grace and, and, and God's love in, in those ways as well. How we process those things are going to be different for each of us. And may the Holy Spirit lead our conscience in that, okay? So we don't want to create another set of, of rules or legalisms or endorsements or anything like that. But if it helps us in, in moving forward, it's helped me to, to determine, am I listening or watching or consuming this in my, with my old life, with my old ears, with my old eyes, with my old heart? Or am I, am I receiving this with my new eyes and my new ears and my new heart? I mean, that new heart is a more critical heart. You're able then to resist some of the damaging messages that might be included in a song that you actually really like, or you might actually find something decent in that song, but also something dangerous in that song as well, in the very same song often. Are you listening with your new ears, your new eyes, your new heart? I think that's very helpful in determining worldliness and, and, and also processing what is also helpful. As we come to a close, if we're serious about pursuing holiness, we have to confront the sinfulness and, and, and the worldliness in our lives. And we've been saying that our definition of, of holiness today is being set apart for God's use. And we're reminded that what makes God holy is his complete freedom from evil and his, and his conformity to complete good. Friends, we can't be intimidated by this idea of holiness, nor can we be content with, with a little bit of sin or a little bit of worldliness or, or a few weeds creeping in. We can't be content with that at all. We can't be content with the fact that our neighbor's sins may be a bit worse than us. That's where the legalism and the self-righteousness start appearing. When we try to be holy without God and start creating these rules, again, that's that Ned Flanders type of Christianity that we're trying to avoid. We may dress up better than Ned and his green sweater. We may not say things like oakley doakley and, and have strange glasses and, and act as goofy as he does. But one of the questions I have for you this morning is, what if, what if there's a little bit of Ned Flanders in all of us? What if there's a little bit of Ned Flanders in all of us? We may, we may play it off a bit better, but what if there's a little bit of about all of us that we're trying to be holy without the help of God, so we create these little rules to try to make ourselves look better than what we really are? Friends, we can live better. We can live better. We can live more fulfilling and more joy-filled lives than that. Remember, we grow stronger roots when we weed worldliness out of our lives. We grow stronger roots when we weed worldliness out of our lives. For many weeks now, we've been talking about finding our go. And we cannot help it, really. I mean, many of us are just so compelled by this idea of doing good in our world and making a significant impact for the kingdom of God. And, and we're compelled with this idea of, of, of finding our go. And, and I'm among those who really likes our new mission statement, discovering life with God for the good of the world. I mean, I, I, that, that resonates with me. But when it comes to finding our go, our pursuit of holiness is really, going to be, is really going to matter. It is going to be relevant. Because if we're serious, and I say this to my fellow uh, uh, social justice friends, if we're serious about social justice, if we're serious about love and about mercy and about peace, that modifier holy is going to be really crucial. Because again, that idea of holy is being separated from evil and conformed to good. 
Because we all want justice that is true. We all want God's form of justice. And if we're serious about that type of justice, if we're serious about that type of love, if we're serious about these qualities of a holy God, then we also have to take seriously what it means to be a holy people. We remember the words of Ephesians 4. You can no longer live the way that you used to. So put off the old self and put on the new self so you can conform more and more to to the image of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so, my friends, as people serious about living full, Jesus-centered lives that truly serve others and reflect God's glory and love, let us be intentional about pursuing holiness. Let us be intentional about examining the motives in our hearts, about pulling out the roots of worldliness that have crept in and those weeds of worldliness that have crept in. And instead, let us take seriously the challenge of what it means to grow strong roots in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you grateful for for the richness of your scriptures and, and how it shapes us and how it changes us. We pray, Lord, that we would remove these misconceptions of holiness that we may have picked up along the way. We pray, Lord, that we would be shaped by the holiness that can only come from you and be empowered by you. So we rely on your strength, Lord. Help us with that. We confess to you that at times, Lord, that we we have not taken the, the, the teaching of holiness seriously. We repent of that. But we ask, Lord, that you would help move us forward in a way that is truly Christ-like. So give us strength. Give us your peace. Show us your love and your mercy once again. But may we be faithful in this calling that you have given us to be holy people. So in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.